Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast, and you're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Shipping is the lifeblood of the world economy, and it's seafarers that keep the global trade flowing 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. The critical role crew play is celebrated with the International Maritime Organization's International Day of the Seafarer, which falls on the 25th of June. Today, you will be hearing from Gerardo Borromeo, Vice Chairman and CEO of PTC Holdings, one of the largest providers of seafarers to international shipping, located in the crewing capital of the world, Manila. Gerardo, welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for having me. To start off, could you briefly introduce yourself and your company and explain why it's important to have a day that recognizes the contribution of seafarers? My name is Gerardo Borromeo. I go by Dito. Uh, I'm the chief executive officer of the PTC group of companies. And over 44 years, the main line of business of our group has been in the area of crew management. And over the years, what we've come to realize and appreciate is really the important role that a maritime professional plays in this industry. They are the tonnage enablers, and without qualified, competent people on board these vessels, we will be hard-pressed to ensure that ships can sail safely, securely, and efficiently on the world's oceans. The Day of the Seafarer is an important day to celebrate, and that actually started in 2010 when the IMO had its first diplomatic conference outside of London and held it in Manila, where they reviewed the STCW convention, which resulted in the Manila amendments to the convention. And as a result of those amendments, it was also uh, felt appropriate that we should recognize the important role that seafarers play. And so on June 25, uh, 2010, the Day of the Seafarer was proclaimed as part of the closing discussions for that diplomatic conference. And since then, every year thereafter, we have always celebrated Day of the Seafarer on the 25th of June, and that's coming up. So we'll be celebrating the 13th Day of the Seafarer this June 25, 2023. That's a really interesting piece of history, and I think it emphasizes the important role that the Philippines and Manila plays in the whole crewing of the world's global fleet. It, it does. And, you know, over the years, the Philippines has evolved to contribute something like close to 25% of the maritime professionals on board the vessels. And we've got to realize that this whole business, and most businesses for that matter, really evolve around people. People dealing with certain processes that they have to work with and the technologies that come into play. And that interplay between people, process, and technology is something that we all have to really understand and continue to understand because how these three elements interact really will dictate on the success of any particular endeavor. Shipping is no exception to that. That's very, very true. Now, in Manila and in the Philippines, seafaring is a very widely known profession and something that people seek to get into. But overall, uh, shipping and seafaring globally are kind of a bit of a you know unseen industry and they're often described as such. Has the wider world become any more aware of the contribution of seafarers you know, through the pandemic and the stories that came out through that? Yes and no. When the pandemic hit, of course, the shipping industry was front and center, particularly the cruise sector, where a lot of the COVID incidents occurred. And that unfortunately left a negative view on that side of the business. The cruise industry effectively shut down, but they've come back strong 
but all throughout the cargo side of the business, which sits at the center of a global supply chain, continue to operate. And the challenge we have as an industry is really our image and how well we are known. And we have constantly, as a group, whether you talk of individual companies or national associations or groups like the International Chamber of Shipping or the IMO, have tried different ways to uh, enhance the image of shipping. And it's very, very important because shipping is an industry that is composed of two parts. You've got the tonnage and you've got the people that work on the tonnage. And we need both in order to ensure that the global supply chain works efficiently all over. How we achieve that has been a constant struggle for us. And part of the reason I believe that's the case is because we as an industry are a business to business undertaking, unlike, say, the aviation industry, which is a people to people business. So we will see vessels out in the bay at anchor. But when they come to port, it's not like masses of people are at the port to receive these goods. They, they are part of a logistic supply chain. And you only end up seeing what you need at the storefront. And so, therefore, shipping becomes a secondary or even tertiary activity, which is not really seen and therefore not as appreciated. But yet, without the shipping industry, and we saw that during COVID, global trade would have stopped. And even today, our biggest concern really looking forward is how do we make sure that we can continue to attract the best and brightest of the next generation of youth coming into the workplace, that they see a noble profession in shipping, and they see that the industry itself moves the world. And that's what we feel. The PTC Group over the last 44 years of our existence have come to realize that people move the world. Filipino seafarers, Filipino global maritime professionals, together with their counterparts from other countries, move the world through shipping. And that is a very, very important element. And we continue to try to at least promote that line in terms of encouraging future generations of Filipinos to consider this industry as an industry which, while it is difficult, it has its own nuances, is an industry that has a lot of value that it brings, not only for the individual, but really for the whole world. Yes, Dito. I think that line, people move the world, is um, very descriptive um, in terms of how this industry actually works. You've got things like Day of the Seafarer. Are there more things that the industry could do to raise that profile? Or is it just the difficulty that it, it is, as you say, business to business? There are companies, for example, you take Maersk, MSC, CMA, CGM. They're branded through their containers. But the containers and whoever orders these containers are typically businesses. And so they're hidden from the public view. Uh, You'll see them on highways and roadways. But to be able to connect, for example, the fact that all of us live with a cell phone. We all live and die with our cell phones these days. And yet we don't realize that a cell phone gets to a particular country through shipping. But we don't think about that. We only think of the fact that, well, if you want to buy a cell phone, you go down to the nearest mall and you go to an electronic shop and that's where you get the cell phone. So the connectivity that's necessary to go from, say, uh, raw material to intermediate material through processing to finished goods to the final. That is a story that is not in the general consciousness of people. And we are in, in many ways hard pressed to be able to explain that. So what we have to try to do is explain life and how life is challenged by the fact that if you do not have an effective global supply chain, then the things that you value, food, clothes, 
energy. They will not be around when you need them most. How to make the connection between a demand and a need and the fact that there is this shipping industry, that's the constant battle. And we just have to keep working at it and find creative, interesting ways to address that, both for the general public on the one hand, but more importantly, at least for the Philippines as a seafaring capital, to the next generations of Filipinos who are looking for meaningful jobs that they can create and, and, and be part of and, and to create in meaningful careers for themselves. Moving on to that part of the, the next generation coming through as seafarers, one of the things about the job is obviously you're in isolation at sea on a vessel, potentially thousands of miles from your, your loved ones and so forth for long periods of time. Are there areas that we can work on to improve the welfare for seafarers, those people out at sea? That's an important question, Marcus. And, and the reason for that is that any undertaking that involves people or wants to attract people always has to think about how do you create an environment that is conducive to an individual for them to carry out their work and also see longevity in their work and see that it contributes to the development of a career. One of the challenges that we have seen that have, has been there and has been bubbling just below the surface over many years is the area of mental wellness. And that is a discussion point that is true not only of working on board a ship, but is very prevalent as well on shore. So one of the things that the PTC group has done is we've tied up with Synergy Marine, Captain Rajesh Huni, and we've put together a program called We Team. And the whole idea is to offer a telephone line, telephone number, where any seafarer from any company around the world can call and say that, you know, I'm not feeling well today. I and mean, that's the first step. The most important thing is to be able to provide a mechanism and a pathway for individuals to say that I'm not feeling well, I'd like to be able to talk to somebody. And we want to be able to break the ice and continue to encourage individuals to say, I'm not okay. And we want to reassure people to make them feel that it's okay not to be okay. Because if we don't help you, that could lead to more difficult and challenging circumstances on board. As you described, when you're thousands of miles away from land, you need to be able to feel that you can reach out and talk to somebody. And that's precisely what We Team is all about. And it's part of a three-way or a three-point activity where, from the PTC Group's perspective, we want to be able to prepare people well before they go out to face the rigors of their work. And that goes through exposure training and a briefing before they leave, telling them that should they feel uneasy or uncomfortable at any point in time, here's a telephone number that you can call. And depending on how that conversation goes, we will be able to escalate the situation to a particular ship's operations and let them decide how they want to handle that. All of this is done with complete confidentiality. And if that individual then feels that they are continuously feeling pressure when they come back on shore, then they are given an opportunity to reach out to medical professionals to get the necessary support. And the whole idea here is to tell people that we're there to support them. We recognize that they work in a harsh environment, sometimes a lonely environment away from family and friends. And we want to be able to provide the kind of support that's necessary to continue to encourage people to give their best. Because at the end of the day, we need to look at seafarers or maritime professionals as the tonnage enablers. They will enable tonnage provided by ship owners to move effectively and efficiently from point to point. And without the human 
side contributing to this whole activity, well, you can spend billions and billions of dollars on all the assets that one can provide, but without qualified, competent people, then those assets aren't maximized. And at the end of the day, the responsibility of shipping operations is to get the job done. To give you an example, we provide crew to orange juice carriers that go from Brazil to Florida to New Jersey and end up in Rotterdam. And the way we've tried to humanize that function is to tell the people on board these vessels that if they aren't able to do the work efficiently and if those ships are delayed and somehow don't get to where they need to get to, we're compromising the availability of orange juice on the breakfast table every day. So when we can begin to connect work on board to how life itself evolves, then we give them meaning. And I believe that the more meaning and purpose we can give people who work in any industry, uh, maritime professionals in particular, just because of the nature of their work, then they realize that they are part of a greater effort. And this is why we at PTC believe that we are moving the world in more ways than one. Every single activity that is undertaken is really part of a whole effort to make sure that, that life continues and shipping being at the central part of a global supply chain, doing all of the heavy lifting, they are able to succeed because of the commitment of maritime professionals all over the world and from the Philippines in particular, willing to do that kind of work. So in many respects, you look at them as unsung heroes and the COVID period really proved that because those that continued to stay on board because they could not be changed, they reflect the best of the human element and the human spirit wanting to continue their responsibilities, even in most difficult situations, uh, realizing that by continuing to do their work, they were able to help the greater part of society continue to live through a very, very difficult time of our lives, which is the pandemic. I think that's fascinating, Dito, about how you're trying to sort of join the dots there and humanize what, what people are doing and explain their role in sort of wider society in their job. Just coming back to the program with Synergy, obviously there is a lot of stigma and fear around admitting that you're not feeling well. Are you finding that this service is getting an uptake and is helping? Little by little, it is. And the reality is we all worry about admitting that something's not quite right and feeling that if I raise my hand, I'm going to get marked. So we also have to campaign and, and make people feel comfortable to say that they're not feeling well, and then make them realize that in the process of helping them, it does not take away from their opportunity to continue in this profession. That is a long-term effort. We've got to start it. We've got to continue to nurture it. And the proof of the pudding is the people who go through it. Now, we're getting more and more calls every day, but you know we recognize that a lot of this stuff is still bubbling just below the surface. And we need to also be aware. So part of the effort is not just to provide a telephone line where people can call, but it's also working with our officers and staff on board to make them more aware, to try to pick up some signals, nuances, changes in behavior. It's a combination of these things. Look, at the end of the day, the whole idea of crew management is to look at human resource development. And looking at all of the different elements of human resource development. So people who are crew managers and are part of a ship management operation have to look at it from the standpoint that 
The first job is talent acquisition. The next job is talent development. And part of that development is the development of the level of confidence and understanding and perception so that each person who is given a certain responsibility on board a vessel realizes that it's not just to do one, two, three, four, but to grow in terms of their ability to lead and discern and understand that circumstances can change and change very rapidly. And the better we are able to help people evolve and develop those skills, the soft skills, the better we will be able to get ahead of these issues such as mental wellness. It's not an easy thing. It's a continuous effort. It requires all hands on deck. But the reality is, as long as we provide a platform, as long as we can continue to encourage and nurture all of the people who make up the workforce that we have, I feel that we will chip away at this issue. And it is something that, at the end of the day, as society itself learns to grapple with this, because we see this not just with people on board a vessel. We see this in the youth as they grow up. We see this at home. We see this in the workplace. A lot of it is how society itself is evolving and the pressures, the peer pressures that everyone has to go through. So it is a complex issue. I can't say that we have all of the answers, but what we're trying to do is provide a mechanism and an environment and to continue to encourage individuals that let's talk, let's communicate, because the more we can communicate, the better off we will be in terms of trying to address issues that we face across a whole range of topics. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. That ability to communicate and providing those channels is extremely important across a whole lot of different avenues in our, in our lives. I'd like to switch gears a little bit here. Now, the theme of this year's Day of the Seafarer is around the seafarer and protecting the environment. And if we look at protecting the environment, we've got the energy transition coming up and new fuels and all the risks involved around that. And on June 26th, the day after the Day of the Seafarer, there's going to be the International Chamber of Shipping Conference in Manila on shaping the future of shipping, the Seafarer 2050. And Dito, how important will the role of seafarers be in that energy transition? The role of the seafarer or the global maritime professional has always been important, perhaps just an understated element. This transition towards a carbonless environment and carbonless industry is very, very important for all of us. While the numbers continue to evolve and the science continues to become clear, what's most important is for us to realize that we are all responsible for making sure that we leave this world in a better place for the next generation. And it's hard to uh, argue that climate change is there or isn't there. We see the effects today of what's happening all over the world, whether it's floods, typhoons, hurricanes. What the scientists are telling us is that we've got to be able to find ways to spend less carbon and therefore clean up the environment. So with that as a goal, we realize that there are two elements, at least in shipping. There's the tonnage and there are the people. And as the tonnage itself undergoes a transition, more digitalization, more automation, better design, and more particularly, the use of cleaner fuels that will emit less or zero carbon, the ability for the maritime professionals working on board to understand and deal with newer systems is going to be very important. And so this whole effort of transition is not just transitioning the hardware to be able to operate in a cleaner environment. It's to make sure that the people who will operate the hardware are up to 
their abilities to deliver. And if your background has not necessarily been a background that deals with evolving science and technology, there are jobs that could potentially be put at risk. And so part of this whole transition is to ensure that we can identify what are the skill sets that we will need going forward, understand what are the gaps in the current skill sets that exist on board, and determine how should we reskill and upskill as we go forward. For a country like the Philippines, for example, we are not in a position to bet on a particular technology. But what we can do is prepare our people for evolving technologies by being able to better operate in an environment which will be more technology driven. So we can do one of two things as far as people currently on board and in the pool, we should continue to provide the necessary training. And at PTC, we have a program called the Capstone and Cornerstone program where we have defined the skill sets based on a training matrix that we ourselves have put together, working also with our principals and clients who have their own training matrices, defined how we want to be able to help each individual identify a career progression. So it is driven to ensure and help individuals become promotable to the next level. And part of that is not just certain basic skills, but also the skills that will be needed in a more technically driven environment. At the same time, we also have to worry about where the next generation of potential maritime professionals are gonna come from. So we have built pipelines into maritime colleges, into senior high schools with a maritime track, even down to the elementary schools, identifying and helping identify shipping as an industry that is worth consideration. And what we have done is we've discussed with the government the importance of having a STEM-based education, STEM meaning science, technology, education, and math. And in some respects, it's even called a STEAM-based education, where it is science, technology, engineering, and A for the arts, the ability to communicate, and math. And for a country like the Philippines, if we can go down that path where we are more open to a technologically driven future that will help Filipinos not only operate successfully in say the maritime industry, but any other industry for that matter. We will never necessarily be way ahead of the skills that are required, but what we can do is continue to promote continuing education and training to minimize the skills gaps that we know will be out there. And, and that's true not just for this profession, but the medical profession, the legal profession, the engineering profession, they have continuing development programs that each licensed individual has to go through every year. And that's part of the upskilling and reskilling that they need to have in order to remain competent in their work. And that should be no different for maritime. It is no different for maritime. So we have understood that. We have begun to put together this program for the retraining and continuous training and upgrading of skills of our own maritime professionals. And, and this is something that we can do both as individual companies and working hand in hand, if you will, in terms of public-private undertakings or industry academic linkages. Because at the end of the day, our source of the future are the schools, whether you look at it from a university standpoint, a high school standpoint, or elementary standpoint. And we have a responsibility to continue to encourage people to look at careers, and in particular, look at careers in the maritime industry, so that the Philippines can continue 
to remain at the forefront of maritime services and continue to operate as a seafaring capital of the world in the future. STEM or STEAM, as you put it there, if you include the arts, that's a pretty broad range of skills there. How far along are we on that sort of journey? Well, these points have been discussed with government and government is aware of it. It's hard to move a battleship, especially with the momentum it has, but there are maybe three elements that have to go into that. First, understanding what is the kind of curriculum that we need to provide. And here, when we talk of science, technology, engineering, math, we don't have to talk about it on the highest level. The important thing is to be able to to understand what each of these subjects mean in terms of integrated learning. So looking at curriculum, and and there are many examples of successful K-12 type programs that are STEM-based. The second would be to ensure that the faculty, the teachers, are all brought up to speed and are ready to operate in an environment that we know is going to be more technologically driven. That's what's happening with the fourth and fifth industrial revolution. So we we can't say that it's not going to happen. It is happening. It's happening all around us. And so therefore, uh, curriculum has to continuously evolve. Faculty training has to continually evolve. And the facilities that schools have to be able to give students a hands-on experience of what technology will mean in different facets of life or, or work, that has to be put together. If we don't do that, and if as a country we're not able to adapt these elements, we'll find ourselves sliding behind everyone else. So it's not just the ability to understand that around us, the technology is changing. Look, the cell phone, I mean, look at what we have in the power of our hands and the youth we know are able to work with these tools much more readily than we are. So there is already some element of that. And what I think programs of learning have to do is be able to integrate these so that the skill sets of awareness, uh, creativity, thinking, all come together to make an individual more competent, more aware of their surroundings and how they need to function and operate. The world is becoming more complex and the systems that are being put together are becoming more complex. And in fact, one of the most important things is that it would be best if we can create industry academic linkages because sometimes what is being discussed by people in business or in industry is the fact that The students that flow through many of these programs, they come out and they're not really ready to operate in the environments that most companies are looking for. So industry academic linkages help to be able to minimize the gaps that exist. So from PTC's standpoint, we have tried to do that, address it by creating a link with universities. We have, for example, a relationship with the leading engineering university in the Philippines, the Mapua Institute of Technology. And we've created the Mapua PTC College of Maritime Education and Training, which has done very well for itself. But we realize that we can't wait for students to come into the university. So when the government went from K to 10 to a K to 12 environment, we started identifying senior high schools where we could introduce a maritime track. And we worked backwards into the elementary school introducing a program like My Ship, My World. And the whole idea of each one of these elements at each of the points in the educational journey was to encourage schools to realize that we need to be more technologically oriented. And by the way, here's an industry which pays very well. And you might want to think about looking at a career in this area. And part of that whole pipelining effort was to see the future, 
and ensure that we can create the pipelines to provide the people skills that are necessary going forward. And this is in anticipation of this transition that you just talked about. We can't wait until all of this happens. I mean, the decisions on what kind of fuels will ultimately win out, that's a few years away. But by not waiting, by taking advantage of what we need to do now, we hopefully will minimize not only the skills gap, we will be ready to operate as the transitions occur. It's very interesting the efforts you're making there at a national level and linking with the whole education system. I imagine that's quite a challenging thing to do. And there's a lot involved there. Just coming back to round this out and coming back to the conference that you've got coming up on the 26th of June, is there sort of more collaboration needed within the industry itself as well for this energy transition? I'm talking here as not just the crewing providers and ship owners, but also the engine makers, shipyards, regulators, and the whole ecosystem of shipping. Absolutely, Marcus. I've always felt uh, from my time with Intermanager when I was involved as the president of the trade association that the different stakeholders have to come together. You have the ship owners, you have the charters, the ship owners, the ship managers, the crew managers, the crew agents, and you have all of the providers of equipment. Uh, You also have the class societies. Everyone has to come to the table. And the reason for that is simply is that we all need to understand where that future is going and how do we create perhaps a more standardized approach, similar to the way the aviation industry has evolved, so that systems and procedures and training requirements uh, are all clearly understood and laid out so that we can make sure that the human side of the equation will not be left behind. And and, and this is very, very important. So this whole transition that we talk about, a transition of the world towards a, a more carbonless future requires us to ensure that the people who are going to be part of that in whatever form, on board a ship or onshore, and including government uh, administrations who are monitoring the maritime industry, they all have to be on the same page. And that means a review of the skill sets that are needed and the reskilling and upskilling of all stakeholders. And just to give you an idea, one of the challenges we have in the Philippines is encouraging more people to consider uh, marine engineering as part of a career path. Most prefer to be deck officers. And when you start to ask, what is it that is missing in the whole engineering equation? And you realize that part of an effort has to be a review of the ergonomics of the engine room. And over the years, the engine room, the layout hasn't necessarily changed considerably, making it more conducive for people to work in that environment. Just to consider, for example, a health issue, we see a higher incidence of kidney stones that occur in people working in the engine room. It's a hot environment. They don't necessarily hydrate themselves. And if it is uncomfortable or if it takes too much time and effort to go from where you're working to, say, comfort room facilities, then one or the other gets compromised. So the ergonomics of a workplace have to be as conducive as possible to encourage people to work in them. And, you know, when you're up against the Microsofts and the Googles of this world and the work environments that they have, people who are going into the engineering discipline have to see that if you work on board a vessel, which itself is going to be transformed into more technically advanced systems, that they are considering all of the different aspects. So to your point, yes, 
the shipbuilders, the equipment manufacturers, they've got to sit with the ship managers and the crew managers and the ship owners so that the more there you have this cross-fertilization of ideas, I believe that the better we will be in coming out with the kind of solutions that will ensure that when the hardware is there, you also have the people ready. One thing to consider is that we can build a ship in less than three years from planning to launch. But the way our industry works, it still takes 10 years to develop the master or chief engineer from the time they become a junior officer or a senior cadet to the time they get their master's ticket. So that's an imbalance right there. The ship will change much faster than the ability for us to get the people ready. So we've got to keep that in mind, realizing that, that we've got to also attract the next generations of people into this industry. Because even as we become more sophisticated with systems on board, I don't believe that in the foreseeable future, we will completely go to an unmanned situation. And even if we can operate with less people on board, you will still need people who will have to get on board at some point or another to do the necessary changes on the fly. And whoever those people are, they've got to be resourced and capable of operating in the more sophisticated environments that we will anticipate. And a carbonless future will require a better understanding of the chemistry of new fuels and the way those engines will operate. Covered a lot of ground there. I think there's a lot of food for thought for our listeners. And just that whole thing of the human element and how long it takes to develop the skills required for this industry. Dito, I'd just like to thank you so much for taking the time today to join us on the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Marcus. Uh, thanks for having me. It's always good to be able to have a chance to exchange views and talk about what's going on in the world. You started by asking, why is it important to have the Day of the Seafarer? From our perspective, from PTC's perspective, having the right person with the right competencies is very, very important. And because of the nature of our industry, where it takes a while for the person to come up to speed and gain the ranks, then we've got a longer runway to work with. So the better able the individual is, the better off we will be. In fact, I've been suggesting that we should change the concept of an able-bodied seaman to an able-skilled maritime professional. One way to be able to attract the next generation is to make the industry as versatile and as up-to-date so that we're not stuck with terminology like able-bodied seaman, ordinary seaman. How do you attract the youth to come into an industry if we keep ourselves pegged to the old ways? We've got to, I think, modernize the way we talk about these things. And certainly, as we've just gone today, uh, recognizing seafarers for their value, for their commitment, for ensuring that the tonnage goes from point A to point B efficiently and effectively, that's a continuing effort. Actually, we don't have to go very far. All companies, they like to ensure that they celebrate the human element in anything that they do. And so it should be no different for the maritime trade. And considering that they work in a very harsh environment away from their families, we should do everything that we can to ensure that they are recognized, that they feel that this is not just a job where, from a Philippine perspective, they can earn good money, but they realize the value, the contribution that they have in moving the world. And this is why, you know, simple things like we move the world in more ways than one, that kind of a concept, shipping moves the world, maritime professionals help to move the world, that gives them a certain dignity, and hopefully it'll translate itself into attracting the best and brightest into this future. This industry isn't going to go anywhere. It's going to continue to be part 
of the global supply chain. The Philippines is a country that has done very well for itself in participating in this industry. But as change occurs, we too have to change and we have to try to stay ahead of the curve. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to exchange thoughts with you and, and hope that others will, will take up a, a similar line of thinking. And, and the more voices we have together, I believe that we can make a difference in ensuring that this industry remains a valuable industry, that this industry will be better appreciated by the general public, which is one of the questions that you asked. And that'll help two ways. It'll make people who work in this industry, both from shore and on board, realize that, oh, this is an industry that I should probably consider looking at. And we hope to be able to continue to move that concept in, in the period ahead. So thank you very much, Marcus. Thank you, Dito. And I think that's a fantastic message to round out this uh, podcast with. That's all we have time for in today's episode. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe on the app of your choice to never miss an episode. And we look forward to being with you again soon on the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. 